As the centuries go by, God is painting his story on the canvas of generations and in the colours of the nations. God's great purposes are coming to pass. And a tiny part of that plan is accomplished in and through us. Northern Life Baptist Church, um, more has been accomplished under the name of Hornsby Baptist Church for over a hundred years. What God is doing, he is painting on a canvas of colour. This canvas of colour is made up of generations sewn together and painted in the colours of the nations and with enormous diversity of experiences, giftedness, passions and personalities. The story has a cross and an empty tomb and a giving of the Spirit at Pentecost and a sending out of the church with the gospel and it has a king returning in glory and a new creation. The canvas of colour represents family but it's also team it's army it's hospital we've been called to love others by our lord jesus we love others as this second part of our mission statement through good stewardship of life life matters we all are called to be good stewards we looked at this last week Now we steward life and the gospel as a church family amidst diversity meshed together in unity. The vehicle through which the love of God flows to others is the eclectic, unlikely, mysterious, vulnerable body of people known as the local church, a canvas of colour. Psalm 78 verse 5 says he decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them even the children yet to be born and they in turn would tell their children then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds but would keep his commands It's always been God's design that his good news, his fame is passed on from generation to generation. Lamentations says this in chapter 5. You, O Lord, rule forever. Your throne is from generation to generation. Psalm 145 says your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Psalm 71 says, and even when I am old and grey, imagine being so old that you're fully grey, that's crazy. Oh God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who are to come. The church has a message of God's love to be communicated in word and deed to this world. This church is filled with short and tall, brown and white, wide and skinny. They sound different, smell different, think differently to each other. They're gifted differently, but together in Christ, they're the church. So this church is diverse, but here's the catch. The calling of the church to tell 
of God's past glory, to tell of the gospel, to unveil the plans of God for the future. This calling takes more than a couple of thousand years to fulfill. How do we do it? How have we done it? We have to get good at sowing seams between generations, don't we? Do you you get what I would say? I mean, I'm reiterating myself over and over then. We have a glorious calling, but it's bigger than us. It's bigger than one generation for Hornsby Baptist, let alone the history of the church. We have to get good in the church at sowing generations together, at sowing seasons of fruitfulness together with another season. Anyone found that to be hard when you look at the church? When you reflect on the church, it's hard to mesh these generations together. Galatians 3, David read it for us. It speaks about this amazing new creation in Christ. New humanity. This is how Paul describes new humans and and that is what God is painting his story on. It's about his name's renown. It's about his glory. He's not going to share it with anyone else. But he's painting his story on a church that looks like us. Diverse, broken, sometimes successful, but we're it. We are the canvas. We're new humanity. And and what do we look like? Well, Galatians 3 verse 26 says this, So in Christ Jesus you're all children of God through faith. Paul says, through faith in Christ, a family has been formed. John said, behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us, that we might be called what? Children of God. I'm a child of God by faith. And you're a child of God by faith if you're a Christian. That makes us what? Siblings. Turn to the person next to you and say, hey brother, hey sister. (laughs) You don't have to, but... Sometimes we forget that. We are family here in this room. Those of us who, verse 27 says, have clothed ourselves with Christ. For all of you, Paul says in verse 27, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. The only reason we can be brother and sister brother and brother, sister and sister, is that we have participated by faith in the divine exchange. Jesus was perfect and righteous and the Son of God. He died in our place, so he got what we deserved, punishment and wrath. And by faith, we got what he deserved, daughtership, sonship, righteousness. When we are clothed in Christ, God sees us as his children. Now having this new divinely appointed identity as Christ-clothed children of God, some things have changed for us. So Paul's just saying it's 2,000 years old, this text, but this is new and this is reality for us today. Some things have changed for new humanity. Some things have changed for the canvas that God is painting his story on. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's no racial divide in this 
room today, though we celebrate our diversity. Isn't that radical? Neither Jew nor Gentile in the church, on the canvas that is painting his story. The racial divide that this tells us about, though we embrace it and celebrate it, it's so wonderful, we are clan. Imagine um, the Chambers clan, Lorna, were here, and you had the room filled with 100 people from the Chambers clan, or the Westbrook, or the Shanks. Can you imagine being here with your clan? Wouldn't you feel tight? The McEwans are all here. We're all McEwans. But Scripture's saying, but that's us today because we're clan. We are family in Christ. That's radical. It doesn't feel like that always. Neither slave nor free. What's that saying? Status derived from occupation doesn't matter for us. It's null and void. James said, don't treat people differently depending on what their occupation is, how much money they have. That's hard to do in life, isn't it? But this new humanity, this canvas that's being used to tell God's story, there's no slave nor free. There's no status for what you do and how much you have in life, nor is there male and female. Wow, that's pertinent for today. It is, isn't it? Male and female, may one not suppress the other. May we be all equal children of God. And you know, Paul doesn't say it, but I think it's fair to say neither generation nor generation, neither old nor young. Jesus said, bring the little ones unto me. The people that no one respects, bring them unto me. I think Jesus was saying, it's not the old and wise that have all the answers. It's he or she who's part of the kingdom and listens to the master. Amen. Because I think maturity's got something to do with listening to God and having rapid obedience. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What do we know about Abraham's seed and being an heir according to the promise? We know heaps. It's in Romans 4. Let me read from Romans 4. Paul says, it was not through the law that Abraham and his, his offspring received the promise. It's not because they were Jews that they received the promise of being children of God. He received this promise that he would be heir of the world. That's a big promise, isn't it? Anyone got a good inheritance coming their way or had that? Abraham's inheritance was oh, you get the world. You're an heir of the world. And of course, what that's pointing to today to us is we will inherit the earth. The promised land is not over in Israel. It's the new creation. We're meant to rule it under Jesus as our head. Humans have a big calling. But through the righteousness, not because of his Jewishness, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, the Jews, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath and where there is no law, there's no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. That's us. Not only to those who are of the law, so there are Jews that are part of it for sure, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He's the father of us all. As it's written, I've made you a father of many nations. 
He is our Father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham was promised that he would have offspring and he did physically. But the promise was greater than that. It was offspring by faith. The same faith he had in God, his offspring would have and they would be heirs of the earth. That's us. We are children of God, children of Abraham, because he's the first one who put his faith in God. We believe together in a God who gives life to the dead. That's what gives us commonality. We believe that there's a God who can transform anything. It looks dead. Now God can call that which looks like that into something that looks different. He's the God we serve. Together, we are his children in this new humanity, this new family, a canvas of colour which was promised way back to Abraham and through Jesus' death and resurrection. It has all become a reality. Pretty wonderful, isn't it? Sort of. <laughs> Come on, Hornsby. Get excited. This is, the, this is the end result that Abraham waited for. Check this. Just have a break from me raving on. Um, check this out. This is a great song by um, Rend Collective, and I think it celebrates what we've just been talking about, what it feels like to be new humanity, to be the canvas on which God can paint his story to the world. He's our rescuer. These are the, the lyrics. He's our rescuer, Jesus. We're free from sin forevermore. Oh, how sweet the sound, how grace abounds. We will praise the Lord, our rescuer. That's why we get excited every now and then. There's good news for the captive, good news for the shamed. There's good news for the one who walked away. There's good news for the doubter, the one religion failed for the good Lord has come to seek and save. He's our rescuer. He is beauty for the blind man. Riches for the poor, his friendship for the one who he, the world ignores, his pasture for the weary, rest for those who strive for the good Lord is the way, the truth, the life. Let this encourage you. Shameless, fearless, he's our rescuer. New humanity. It's worth celebrating, isn't it? That song gives us a sense of that. It's what music does. It allows us to come together and we sort of, we, we get lifted out of maybe our cynicism. We go, wow, that's it. The picture is, is painted by the hymn or the song. But you know what? So many Christians don't experience that at all. And here's where I get cynical and it might sound negative. The church so, so often is not a family. It's not a family. The church doesn't feel like new humanity. It feels like old, crusty, religious humanity, not new humanity. Think about it. It feels like a dysfunctional family, in fact, a seedy family with seedy secrets. It's meant to be new humanity, the most brilliant, shiny, righteous, beautiful, godly family. Some of us are holding pain and all we need to do is talk about it and you feel like, yeah, I know that. There's pain in this family. In fact, the church, for many in the world who are not here anymore, is a broken down joke 
of what is promised in the Scriptures. And some of us, even though that sounds really harsh, and I don't believe it's us at our core. I don't believe it. But we know family, we know friends who have walked away from the church and in some way that negative picture paints something of what they've experienced. You know, I reckon um, any problem you have in life, Jesus' prayer in John 17 is not a bad place to go to to find an answer. His last big prayer, I think it's, it's, it's a wonderful prayer when you think Jesus knew absolutely what it would take for new humanity to be the canvas that the Father could paint the story of his glory on. He knew. He knew what the challenges would be. So I, I thought that would be a good place for us to go because we all want this. We want new humanity. We want the family like it's meant to be. And of course we've experienced much of it, but not all the time. And I think this is helpful for us as we believe for a fresh season of blessing in our church life and a growing family and young'uns who we need to look after in the Lord. What might, mean, what, what might we need to focus on? Let's let our Lord Jesus, the Master, show us in his prayer, the prayer that he prayed for the church those who would come after the disciples. I'm going to read from John 17, verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. It's a big prayer. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. They know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I think the first priority we see in his prayer for new humanity is clarity of purpose. Clarity of purpose. As I talk to people around our church over the last few years, something that gets people's adrenaline and um, memory pumping is Narnia. Isn't it? You think, when did we work as family? Interdependence. Oh, Narnia, you should have seen it. I did see the last one just at the end of it. I think that's an example of this church's family having a purpose. Clarity of purpose will always bring out focus. And what is our overarching clarity of purpose for us as a church family? It's the glory of Jesus. That's what he prays. He says, Father, glorify yourself. You've glorified the Son. I want to glorify you. It's about glorifying the one who is worthy of all praise. And someone here might think, gee, he's a bit myopic, isn't he? He's a bit sort of up himself. No, not at all. Because if God isn't into his own glory, he's an idolater and you can't be an idolater in God's universe. Amen? So it's all about him. It's all about God. Jesus was about the glory of the Father and the Father glorified the Son. That's core value number two for us. Jesus is worth it. So for us to be new humanity, the canvas of color that he can paint his story on, we've got to love to worship God, Jesus, the Spirit. Secondly, Jesus prays for truth in verse 7. Now, they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. God speaks, we listen. 
They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. Jesus prays that the followers, the generations to come, would know the truth and they would love God's words. It's our core value number three. God speaks, we listen. To be the canvas of colour who love others. In the name of Jesus, we've got to love the truth. Amen? We've got to love the truth. We've got to love the word. We've got to love the name because the name of Jesus represents the way, the truth, the life. Do we love the name? We've sung about it today. I think the more a local church loves the name of Jesus and the truth of Jesus, the brighter the paint comes out of the canvas. It's like HD, don't you reckon? It's about the name. If the name doesn't matter, we become a religious group. But this is about a person, yes? It's about a person. We are following a person who is our Lord and is filled with nothing but truth. Verse 13, Jesus prays for joy. Joy, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they, the disciples and the disciples to come, may have what? The full measure of my joy within them. The full measure of joy. The full measure is Jesus' prayer. For us to be a canvas that shines forth the love of Christ to the world, we have to know the joy of Christ in our hearts. So think about us as a church do we reflect the joy, the full measure of joy to the next generation? So we've got a young person comes in to this congregation. They're looking around. They don't know about the joy. They're just looking and they hide up the front here and we let them sit there and they, they're just watching because they're just trying to learn if Jesus' prayer came true. How do they sense the joy? I reckon they see a lot of joy. And in some of us, we don't feel like being joyful on that day, and that's okay too. But I want to leave you with that challenge. See, if we don't carry the full measure of joy for the next generation, when and where do they see it if it's not in us? We were having a chat the other day in our small group about joy, and someone was reflecting that other parts of the world, this particular reflection was from Africa, they seem to be able to do that joy piece better than the conservatives in the West. We tend to think that showing too much joy reflects that you come from a certain denomination in the West, right? But in, in the rest of the world, everyone's just really glad to be together as family worshipping, singing, and they sometimes repeat the same thing over and over. But it's there to give, they're there to give joy to God for the good news that they have received. We need joy. We need joy on this canvas of colour that needs to be given to the next generation. Or what happens? You have a joyless generation and without joy, they can't get through the hard stuff because Christians have always had a joy-filled hope, not just a stoic hope, a joy-filled hope. Jesus prays for holiness, verse 16. They are not of the world, this canvas of colour, this new humanity, even as I'm not of it, because 
I've done something to them. I put my spirit in them. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. This is Jesus' prayer to the Father for us. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. That means made holy, different. Is this fair to say it's very hard for us to reflect the grand story of God's righteousness if people can't see much of that character in us at all? Like, I know we're a hospital for sinners, but if that's all we are, come on. The world looks in and says, I thought you had some hope for me. You guys have any character in there? Holiness? Of course it's only by grace. But behavior that is sub-Christian undercuts the witness of Christianity. It does. I'll always be... um, Grateful for opportunities to, to pray with older Christians. As a young man and as a middle-aged man, I, I think you feel the weight, the gravity of a fear of God that you can't just get told in a book. Are we giving that away? When we pray with someone from the next generation coming through, do they pick up a sense that, You know, there's a fear of God in our hearts. There's a desire for holiness in Christ. Jesus prayed for it. We need to crave holiness. Jesus prayed for oneness and trust. In verse 20, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Jesus has passed on glory to the church. He's passed on the gospel. He will pass on the glory of the presence of the Spirit to this group. Jesus trusts his church. That's what we we pick up. This is... Prayer for oneness and trust. The future of our church depends on the quality of the seams. Is that a fair statement? Unless you're going to just replant again. It just seems like bad leadership. It doesn't make any sense that we don't carry on now to the next generation. So there has to be a bridge of trust, of oneness between the generations. I was part of a church, I was talking about it regarding Tim, he was part of that for 19 years down in the south of Sydney. And and we saw, and I've told you this, we saw tremendous growth. It was an amazing blessing to see. When I reflect on what was different, was it just holy luck? No, I do not believe it was just holy luck. What I saw were older people that had uncommon ability to give away the baton to the next generation it was uncommon i barely heard in 10 years of amazing growth an older person say i'm really upset i wish they did it this way i want my hymns but we did do hymns but they just didn't whinge like that i saw older people racing to embrace younger people and they led the way as many of us do here Someone new comes who's younger. It's like older people come and go, hey, generation gap doesn't matter to me. I want to bless you. Can we be that church? 
where the older generation trusts the younger one coming through. But here's the catch as well. That's not just to go, okay, here it is, all yours. It's like the inheritance. You've done nothing really for it. You take it. That's not what we need. We need trust coming back the other way. Amen? We need, I want to say to the mainly younger ones tonight, who's paying the bills, guys? Or do you want to be some just cheeky youngster coming through to take the family inheritance that everyone else has paid for, everyone else has served for? Are you just going to turn up and be millennials? I know that sounds critical, but someone's got to pay bills. Someone's got to step up. Someone's got to take on responsibility. And now we're hearing a bit of the generation gap, aren't we? I'm being negative, critical. We don't like hearing that coming back from each other, but trust is established through relationship. So I want to challenge you guys. If we were to have a fantastic seam sewn between generations at Northern Life, who's involved in the relationships that cause that seam to be strong? If it's not you. Who is it? It's got to be some of us. <laughs> there has to be a mesh. We have to find a way that we use words to build relationship trust so that we have good seams. There's two more. He prays for unity in verse 23. I in them, Father, Jesus says, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I'm going to read that again. They need unity, Jesus prays, and he says this is the consequence, because if they have unity, the world will know that you sent me and that you loved them even as you've loved me. Seems like unity is pretty important, isn't it? Diversity is wonderful. We've celebrated it today. We have a lot of diversity in our church. It is required for us to do the job of being the canvas of colour that tells the gospel. We need different giftedness and different backgrounds and racial diversity reminds us that the gospel is for all nations. But have you noticed that diversity and tolerance is the catch cry of the world? Now, that's what the world's all about. As long as we can have diversity, but don't tell me how I'm meant to live. So the world is saying diversity, diversity, diversity without a whole lot of overarching truth. I want to make a statement which I said at our prayer meeting and I got a bit of pushback <laughs> from Rex, which was good. How do you take this statement? Unity is more important than diversity. Unity is more important than diversity. So Jesus doesn't pray, may, Father, may they be diverse as we have different roles, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He didn't pray that. I'm not, we got then into talking about, am I having a white Australia moment? <laughs> and I said, no, not at all. It's not conformity, it's not silliness. It's embracing and loving the diversity. But let's take the diversity piece for granted. Jesus did. But he said, if you're just diverse with no overarching truth, no overarching love of your dad 
in heaven. Abba, Father, Lord, Jesus, King of kings, name above every other name. That's what brings us together in unity with a focus on his glory and his mission going out to the world. If we don't have that unity, Jesus says, the world won't care that you're diverse. We need unity. Not under some human figure, under Jesus. Where we love one another because we are loved by him. A canvas of colour working correctly. Reflecting the story of God in the weave of its fabric. The story of God is one of relationship and conversation and sacrifice and forgiveness and grace and truth. Unity can only be found through the cross, vertically and horizontally. It's where we need to be at the foot of the cross always as we relate. If you disagree with that, I'd love to chat with you about it. We need diversity, but I think we need unity even more. The last one is love, and that's what this core value is all about, loving others as a canvas of colour. Jesus prays that his followers 2,000 years on would be marked by love. Verse 26, I have made you known to them, Father, and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The definer for us is love. We have to love God, love others, love the world to reflect what God is on about in this world. Love that loves in action, not just words. Love that loves as an interdependent group of new humans. Love that loves empowered by the Spirit of God. Love that loves for the sake of the story we are telling through our lives, which are a canvas of colour. We are new humanity in Christ. Hallelujah. We are. We don't look like it sometimes, but we are by faith. We are one in Christ, and it's out of this unity that we love others as family, as team, Is this possible? No racial divides. No status divides. No gender divides. No generational divides. To God be the glory on this canvas of colour.